Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm D. And this is Antiques Freaks. 100% unadulterated, uncut, pure podcast. What antiques are we talking about this week? Well, this was actually a suggestion from you, Ken. Oh God, what have I done? <laughs> it's okay. Cup plates. Oh. Yeah. This is a suggestion from me from like six years ago. <laughs> well, and then you reminded me like one week ago. Did I? Yeah. Was this when I had a fever? Oh, it might have been. Yeah, you were sick at the time. <laughs> okay, because I have zero memory of this. Well, you you mentioned it in passing, and I was like, well, that's fucking crazy because we've never done that episode. Shit, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and what's more is the more I got to thinking about it, the more I realized cup plates were one of those things that had permeated my life to the degree that I had never thought to be curious about them. They're just always there when you need them. And when you don't need them, they're there even more. They're almost always there then. (laughs) I had just sort of taken for granted that they existed. And I had never asked myself why. They've just been haunting you and you've never questioned (laughs) it. So this is going to be a deeply philosophical (laughs) No, No. No God to help me, I wouldn't do that to any of you. But I thought, I, you know, maybe there's other people in the same situation where a cup plate is just a thing that exists around you and you never stop to wonder about it. Now let's all stop to wonder about it. But D, what is a cup plate? Do you know? Well, I know them as small discs of glass, perhaps two and a half to three inches in diameter, inscribed with symbols produced in the 19th century as tourist trinkets and or advertising. Pretty close, but it turns out there was a whole other history behind them. Oh my god. So if I'm looking at a cup plate, what am I looking at? You are looking at, and I am not, I am 100% not fucking around with you here, a plate for a cup. (laughs) Yes, but perhaps in this audio medium, we could describe it in a way that paints a word picture for someone who hasn't heard the phrase cup plate before. (laughs) So I I thought you did a pretty good job. They are usually glass, although they have been known to exist in porcelain or other pottery. But for the sake of argument, let's just say glass perhaps clear, perhaps colored disc, as you said, um, anywhere from two and a half to four inches, usually two and a half to three. And they are usually embossed with some sort of whimsical design. Anywhere from a historic design, perhaps the Washington Monument, perhaps an event, the World's Fair, or perhaps just a beautiful pattern. But I was surprised to find out that the term cup plate is in fact very literal. It's a plate you put your cup on? It is originally used to hold a teacup to avoid staining the tablecloth. Wait, these are just coasters. (laughs) These are coasters. I feel very enlightened and at the same time very stupid. (laughs) It's, um, it's one of those. But I was a little bit confused because isn't that what a saucer is for? Isn't it? Or is it? So, no. (laughs) Oh, the end. And yes. <laughs> oh, shit. Fuck, it's in all directions today. <laughs> yeah, the, I am going, this is a saw. This is saw 10. No. They just announced I'm extremely excited. This is saw 10. There's going to be nothing but twists and turns. And all the traps are logical ones. They're not. They're like 40 lawnmowers turned upside down in a room. A real saw trap, everybody. Look it up. Um... <laughs> Well, for me, this was another palm to the forehead moment, because when I asked myself, why would you use this and not the saucer that is generally marketed with the teacup? Well, the word saucer, what does that indicate about its use to you? If you believe in it hard enough, it can fly? It's for sauce. What? It's for the sauce, my bro. Since the fuck when? Since they started calling them that. Why? I actually have a note here that just says, fuck you, (laughs) in response to learning this. So originally a saucer is just meant to sort of capture spills and dribbles and drips, right? At least as it relates to a teacup. Although it's important to remember two things. 
tea drinking. It was a fairly, uh, we're back in time. Um, let me take you, I'm going to pick a date. We're in the 1840s, right? Sure. I'm sorry. No, we got I got to take you sooner. We're in the 1820s. That's not sooner. That's further back. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I'm going to take you further back. I'm going to take you all the way back. We're in the 1780s. I don't have like a whole lot of confidence in your time machine at this point. Well, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. All your legs are still <laughs> attached, right? You had three? Uh... All right, great. Amazing. That's the right number. So we're in the 1780s. Okay. <laughs> Tea drinking is not yet a habit and of anyone other than the upper class, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure they have it pretty well ingrained in China at this point, but... Well, that's the thing. China has a much different approach to drinking tea than England would adopt. Teacup from China, or more appropriately a tea bowl, might not have a saucer, necessitating the use of a cup plate, or not have a handle necessitating the use of a cup plate. Why does not having a handle make you need a cup plate? Let me tell you. Tell me. How do you drink tea in a cup without a handle? You just wrap your hand around the whole thing instead of around the handle. It's pretty straightforward. You're a white person in England. You just got tea. You don't know how this do. It's hot. It's hot. Oh my God, it's hot. If I don't know how tea works and I'm a white person in England, I'm probably just trying to bite into the brick. All right, in this hypothetical, we got past this stage. There's chomp marks out of all the material in your house and you finally got into the part that the tea goes in the tea bowl. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but ooh, ooh, oof, ouch, hot. There is evidence to suggest that from the 17, late 1700s, people would pour their tea into the saucer to cool it off and drink it out of the saucer. Yeah. You didn't know that? I didn't fucking, you knew that? Yeah. And you just let it happen? I thought you also knew. Who the fuck? You also work in antiques and you collect teacups and saucers. Who the fuck knows that, my man? Me. <laughs> To me, a saucer, it feels so natural as, uh, of course, this is in case a drippy drop happens, that it never occurred to me to think of it in any other way. If it's just in case of a drippy drop, why isn't it flat like a coaster? Why is it curved up like a bowl? Well, that's the fucking thing that I didn't think about. (laughs) Because, of course, the older a teacup and saucer gets, the more bowl-like the saucer is. Yeah. The flat coaster-like appearance is relatively modern. Yeah. Because he used to drink out of it. I thought it was just so you didn't spill it. It was even better at not spilling. I mean, that's true, but also. All right, I'm gonna need everyone. I need y'all to rally around me. And even if you did know, pretend like you didn't know. Okay. (laughs) Not you. You can be all smug with your knowing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, you you would just flat out drink it out of the saucer. Yeah. Because it was cooler that way, which necessitated an extra piece to hold the cup that you weren't drinking out of. Which was the cup plate. Oh, because the cup cannot go in the saucer because the saucer is full of the tea that you're drinking. Yeah. So you need a plate to put your cup on. Yep. And this was made more complicated by the fact that a teacup with a handle, which was seen as sort of like a useless thing that got knocked off. See, you can hold the cup while you wait for it to cool off. But if you're using handleless cup, you can't. So you dump it in the saucer. Sip, sip, sip. Now, by the second half of the 19th century, the amorphous blob known as etiquette had rendered this quite unpopular and perhaps a bit vulgar. Yes. But do you know where it wasn't those things? America? <laughs> Raise a hand for the old red flag and blue. America, <laughs> who, who had similarly only recently started to adopt tea as like a part of their daily lifestyle. Well, they, they go through the whole rigmarole all over again, it seems. We also then quickly ditch tea into the harbor in Boston in favor of coffee, <laughs> which is grown <laughs> relatively locally as compared to tea. That's the thing. So for a short period of time, from the 1840s to the middle of the American Civil War, everyone was slurping out the saucer and everybody needed a cup plate. And I didn't know any of this. My brain is blown. 
And uh, most cup plates that had already been purchased were repurposed to hold little snackies on the tea table, which I love, frankly. Teeny tiny snack plates. Which I bring up because if you want a cup plate or two and you need to justify its existence in your home, consider little snackies. It's large enough to hold one entire tortilla chip. Well, no, you use it for like capers, hot mustard, nuts. I love giving my friend a small plate of hot mustard that they can just slurp down. I... (laughs) Have you met John? <laughs> you know what? You're right. <laughs> we had him on the podcast, even. He told us all about magic cards. We went to a sushi place and I watched him eat a ball of wasabi like it was a thing to do. He knows that's not how you do it, right? He was just showing off. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was explicitly just showing off, but still. And you yelled at me for eating a packet of pepper. And that's just a regular pepper. That's not even spicy. If you're here, here's the thing. A, do you not count this as a form of mockery of him for doing this? And at the time I pleaded with him to stop. (laughs) The owner of the sushi restaurant saw this and began laughing and clapping and egging him on. It was great. Did they really? Yeah. Incredible. Uh, So yeah, it had never occurred to me that these were at one point a useful object. The more you know. By the American Civil War, the use of cup plates had declined. People started drinking tea regular like... However, after a long, long sleep, in 1974, something incredible happens. People started drinking tea again? Pearpoint begins issuing commissioned collector edition cup plates. Pearpoint, what have you done? Pearpoint, what have you done? If someone knows why Pearpoint did this, I would love to know. To make us suffer, D. Pearpoint did this because suffering brings us closer to God. I read a book on the subject and I still only seem to walk away with the idea that they did it to do it. <laughs> They climbed the mountain because it was there and also so they could laugh at us from the peak. So you can kind of see where this story is going. These were pressed in limited numbers. You wouldn't know that to walk into any antique shop, but yeah, these are theoretically limited edition. Okay, here's the thing. They were pressed in limited numbers for hundreds to thousands of individual groups. (laughs) One of the things that they did is that you could, if you were the Massachusetts Mountain Biking and Anoli Spotting Club, you could go to Pearpoint and commission them a set of 24 plates for all of your current active members. And a lot of people did this, which creates two very huge pressure points in the antique market for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Limited numbers and a great amount of variety. (laughs) In fact, at an auction in 2003, 400 of the metal molds created by Andrew Bourbon, Richard Hayes, and Alvin White, who are our main villains in this part of the story... (laughs) were sold at auction, and that was a small collection of the number of molds they had to sell. Oh dear. Through the 1980s, there was a bubble moment. The 100th plate. Wow. And uh, my favorite part of this story, and I'm really only including it because it cracked me the hell up, is the first 100th plate, they fucked up so bad that the mold broke. (laughs) (laughs) Now, is this the 100th unique plate design that they'd ever made? Is that what made it the 100th plate? Yes. And a uh, fun fact, the both the broken mold and the plate are in the New Bedford Glass Museum collection. Visit Scenic New Bedford, Massachusetts. Enjoy our whaling museum and our glass museum. Now, another thing that made cup plates deeply, deeply beloved was the great breadth of materials and decor they could be found in. So when you say great breadth of materials, you mean glass. Well... And glass accessories. It's almost, it's like 90% glass. Except that the the late 1700s, the 1780s, 90s, and early 1800s, you could find porcelain and pottery ones. So when you say great breadth of materials, you mean different kinds of glass? I do, in fact. Okay. 
but it is just glass. And there's also porcelain and pottery. <laughs> right, but the great breadth of materials is mostly glass. It's mostly glass, but it is... A great breadth of materials if you only count one material. It's two fucking materials! <laughs> I'm gonna... I, I know where you live. <laughs> a great breadth of two entire materials. And, and also, yes, I was including the breadth of different kinds of glass. <laughs> it's just funny. You're a pedant... <laughs> And also, it includes porcelain and pottery. You can't leave those out. I'm gonna make you write this on a chalkboard a hundred times. Good luck finding me. I know where you live. I've memorized your car's license plate. Wherever you flee, I will find you. And I'm going to take you, and I'm going to take you to the glass museum, and you're only going to be allowed to look at the cup plates. I mean, that will probably occupy me for some time, as I'm told there's a wide (laughs) breadth of materials. I'm going to fucking throw you out your own window. And your neighbors are going to be like, that's so embarrassing. Out of his own window? That's his. He pays rent for that window, and there he goes out of it. I can't can't believe he's been paying monthly for the the explicit uh, entertainment of being thrown out of the window. (laughs) It's a warning of what's going to be happening to you. A sneak preview of next week's episode. The next week's episode is the sound of Ken going out of a window. And I talk about different kinds of the wide breadth of materials used to make windows. By which we mean glass. By just so many kinds of glass. Do you think if, those, if glass looked one way, people would give a shit about glass? They wouldn't talk about glass. <laughs> I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'd be talking about wood. Don't you fucking dare. I'll, I'll do Don't you it. dare come for wood. You Don't you fucking a, dare. You son of a bitch. I mean, like, I'm gonna be like, one, one day you're gonna be like, wow, there's so many different kinds of wood. I'll be like, oh yeah, one kind, wood. And on that day, I will turn and walk <laughs> into the sea. You won't have to. I'll pitch you there myself. <laughs> In front of God, your neighbors, and everyone. <laughs> so where were we? We were talking about all the kinds of glass that they were made in. Such as? <laughs> Transparent glass. <laughs> That's easily one of the kinds. Transferware pottery, because I can't stress this enough, they were there. Uh, Things like opalescent glass, floral glass, satin glass, etched glass, floral glass, cut glass, scroll glass, mold-blown glass, sometimes hand-blown glass, but mostly pressed glass. And as the Americans picked up the use of cup plates, so did the American habit of printing dudes' faces on goddamned near everything in a show of patriotism. Yay! Now these are called historicals. Can you guess why? Do they depict historical figures? They depicted historical figures. Incredible! One that, for some reason, literally everyone talked about and wouldn't shut up about was the advertisement of Henry Clay's presidential uh, foray. Wow. Good for him. Uh, excellent for- I mean, this is the first I'd heard of Henry Clay. Really? Well, welcome to him. This, the American education system. Yay! You know, so yeah, I didn't know about Henry Clay. Um, apparently he liked log cabins a whole bunch. Oh boy, did he. So the log cabins, the Henry Clay advertising log cabins, are actually one of the most sought-after designs of the early historicals. You also had a huge variety of American glass studios making these. 
This was unique because in the 1840s, there weren't a lot of things that were uniquely American up until this point. Since the British and Europeans frankly did not give a fuck anymore about cup plates, all of the cup plates that you see coming out of this time period are almost exclusively American, with some European manufacturers making cup plates specifically to export to America, such as Baccarat and Val St. Lambert, which is pretty funny when you think about it. Oh, how droll. Those are extremely high quality luxury brands. So the idea that they had like put these on uh, like on the end of a fishing pole and said, look, look at this. I'm going to get the Americans to buy my shit. Woo! And sold us a bunch of cup plates with American eagles on them. I'm not kidding. It's very funny. It is very funny. You're right. Now, a lot of those American glass companies would be centered in New England. You have Sandwich, Pear Point, both Sagamore and New Bedford, and some Ohio ones as well. I would say out of all the New England states, Ohio is my favorite. Um, I just kind of threw Ohio in there because I figured someone was going to be like, what about Ohio? And I was like, yeah, it's there too. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Ohio is a place too, Day. I mentioned this because from my experience, I don't know about yours, there is a certain element of local collectability that these enjoy here. Is it local collectability or, oh god, everyone's grandmother has an attic full of these things, quick dump it on the local antique shop? It is both. Yay! Well, the idea is that since these companies were heavily concentrated in Massachusetts and Ohio, <laughs> that a lot of and Ohio and a lot of these were created as sort of like commemorative fundraising things for small groups in the state. It sort of creates an instant attraction for people who are like, I remember Duxbury. <laughs> In my experience, it creates this terrible feedback loop where you have a bunch of cup plates no one wants. You dump them on the antique store. Someone's grandma toddles by saying like, oh, I remember the quilting bee of 84. Look at this cup plate commemorating it. I'm going to buy it. And then she dies and then leaves everyone her cup plates and no one wants them. So they dump them on the antique store. And then another grandma toddles into the shop and says, I remember the quilting bee of 84. (laughs) And then eventually this goes on until an entire generation of grandmas is wiped out. But then their children come in and say, I remember grandma used to have a cup plate commemorating the quilting bee of 84. I would like this cup plate. And it just keeps happening. You know, I think David Attenborough's stuff has gotten really weird lately. (laughs) You didn't like his life cycle of the cup plate documentary? I do not know how to break it to you and everyone listening that this is just how antiques are. (laughs) It's a cycle without end. And we are merely the tenders of the cycle. (laughs) And of course, I couldn't leave this without talking about this one specific Pearpoint cup. Of course. The Nye Family Cup, which I actually, this one is in the New Bedford Glass Museum. I do plan on getting more information as to why the Nye Family had their own cup plates, because that's already sort of okay. (laughs) And uh, it was pattern number 178. For those of you who don't know, the Nye family was a large, influential, once upon a time whaling family that went on to develop a bunch of industry here in New Bedford. They made a plate with the Nye family crest, which involves a sheep. However, the initial production run had given the sheep, and I quote, an objectionable laughing expression. And so another How was run. Dare. <laughs> so another was We done. have no impious <laughs> sheep in our family. Our sheep are firmly sober, sir, thank you. <laughs> Exactly the vibe I'm getting. (laughs) Your sheep makes a mockery of our family, sir. Correct it at once. A new cup plate. And then they smash it on the floor like Thor in the first movie. So yeah, there was a second run where the sheep is much more sober. And of course, this naturally made the laughing sheep highly coveted. For one, it's much more fun at parties. And for two, it's a much more jovial sort. 
But so what does this mean for the collecting market today? In my experience, it means that every antique shop in New England is up to its fucking gills and cup plates. And dear God, won't someone relieve us of this burden? That's true. (laughs) Well, so there's sort of two sides to this. There is the cup plates as we're familiar with them, which, as you said, do somewhat grow like a scabrous curse on the skin of the industry. (laughs) I just wanted to say that I actually don't have a problem with them. I think they store up and display a hell of a lot better than, like, other things I consider disease, such as, like, Playboy magazines and so on and so forth. That's true. They do take up less space and are less of a fire hazard. At their best, they come with their own little storage box, so that's always nice. They're stackable. They're stackable, I I think, and when you put them all out in little stands, they look cute. I'm actually fairly pro-cup plate. It's sort of like growing up on a beach. You might lose some of your natural wonder from certain kinds of seashells, and that's sort of my relationship to the cup plate. Yeah, a cup plate is a lot like growing up on a beach. You're so right. In the reviews, let me know if that made sense to you, <laughs> or if Ken is, is just funning on me. If Ken is just having a laugh, email antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> So there's two types of cup plates, the historicals, which is what it says on the tin, and conventionals, which are any of the abstract or generally art glass designs, sometimes made specifically to advertise and market a type of glass making the studio might have been putting out that year. So the cup plate is a sample of, this is the new technique we've developed to make glass look like this. Yeah, exactly. So if you had like a milk glass opalescent thing, you would make a little cup plate that would serve as like a useful sort of salesman sample. This is our cup plate, advertising our wide variety of materials, including glass. I'm going to anneal Ken into a fine powder. (laughs) No. (laughs) But yeah, that actually is kind of how they were used. What this means for collectability, I'm afraid I simply couldn't tell you. Of all the glass items, I think cup plates are probably the easiest to sell online because they are small and very flat. So packing them is easier than packing almost any kind of glassware. Very true. And I was surprised to find out that a lot of the earlier examples, anywhere from the 17 to the 1800s, are actually fairly valuable. Then why are they still sitting here? Well, these are different from the ones we're talking about. Oh. So the ones we're talking about are made specifically uh, a la Beanie Babies to be collectibles. They're not necessarily intended to be used as plates for your cups. And fittingly so, they're, they're slightly smaller than the actual article. But a cup plate, which was a plate meant intended to cradle a cup, they actually can go for anywhere from like 20 to $40. Which, for an item so small, is pretty impressive. For any piece of glassware these days, that's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. One of the funniest things that I ran into while looking at these actual valuable examples is that everyone loves steamboats. Alongside Henry Clay, steamboats were one of the first subject matters explored by cup plates. And as you said, everyone loves a steamboat. Everyone loves a steamboat, and almost nobody can tell certain ones apart from butter pat dishes. So that's kind of funny. (laughs) They can't tell the couplets apart from butter pat dishes. Yeah. Okay. Because in my lifetime, I have been fairly reliably able to tell the difference between a steamboat and a butter pat dish almost every time. Well, what's it like to be perfect, Ken? (laughs) What's it like? (laughs) We're all waiting to know. (laughs) Pretty chill. Thanks for asking. (laughs) We're all waiting to know what it's like to be everyone's favorite. (laughs) And actually, one of the interesting things is... That I search value of interesting. I, I use that a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> you do. And people are like, that's that's not interesting at all. And it's like, well, it is to me, so I'm very sorry. It is to me, damn it. It is our podcast. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. 
these are actually commonly mislabeled as butter pats. Commonly? Well, yeah. Huh. People have a certain vision of what a cup plate looks like. It's the pear point and the sandwich glass, the little, like, the little window stoppers that you and I are familiar with that you, you find such a blight. So when people see the functional cup plates, they tend to just sort of say, ah, a butter pat, which is what all very small pieces of glass are to me. (laughs) (laughs) And hysterically, one of the ways you can differentiate them is to see if a cup fits on it. Wow. Uh, (laughs) I love absurdly practical tests in the antiques industry. I do love when it's a one and done. And it's like, well, if a cup fits very nicely onto it, it's not likely it was for butter, now is it? Yet another aside, I actually have a small collection of butter pats because it is how I used to feed my hedgehog. That's adorable. My hedgehog had a, an almost a matching set of Limoges butter pats, which to him were like big, beautiful dinner plates. <laughs> another thing that is fascinating about cup plates is the tolerance of condition. You know, I always call this out when I find something where it doesn't have to be in perfect shape to be valuable. And since these were tiny and heavily decorated, often with scalloping on the edges, which would of course go on to be a standard for the pear point and sandwich glass keepsake cup plates, they chipped a lot. They chipped a lot and um, that pattern, which is called scalloping, sometimes an entire scallop would just sort of flake right the hell off. Oh no. And so there is a certain tolerance for chipping, rim roughness, and missing scallops. This is for, I can't stress this enough, for the actual older ones. If you have, like, a 1970s pear point cup plates, you are shit out of the luck, my friend. Oh no. Bad news for every local antiques dealer. (laughs) And uh, like a lot of older glasses, since uh, most of these were pressed glass, as Ken so helpfully pointed out, largely pressed glass of a variety of colors, to differentiate them in age, as actually pear point and sandwich do make limited numbers to this very day, they have a three-part molding system. So on a piece of pressed glass, there should be, in thirds, little mold lines from where they were pressed into the mold. And this is very specific to that method of glass pressing. And so it's a pretty reliable way to check to see if this is a modern or an antique piece. Now, if you are specifically interested in the collector, pair point, and so on cup plates, good luck! Subject matter that is relevant to your immediate area is generally better received. You will get more value out of anything that is somehow locally pertinent to the area you are in, where I would make more on a New Bedford interest cup plate here in New Bedford than I would in What About Ohio? (laughs) And the mainstay is if it's got little animals on it, that also does really well. One of the few that I actually do know offhand will will bring you in some money, and by some money I mean like $10, is the Burgess series, which are Beatrix Potter-esque little animals going about their daily tasks doing little animal-in-hat things. And that's not specific to cup plates. I find, in general, if something has that on it, people will pay more for it. And I think that's correct. Excellent. But by more valuable, I mean $10. Listen, that's 10 entire dollars more than you will get for almost any other piece of glassware on the market today. Hey, hey now. You don't have to rub it in that the glass industry is doing poorly. (laughs) But yeah, these kinds of cup plates, their standard price is anywhere from 3 to $5. There are plates, cup plates among them that are more or less valuable due to any number of granular, highly specific collector's things, such as the Laughing Sheep, for example. And uh, if you're that kind of collector, you probably know more about this than me, and we'd love to have you on the show. Hit me up. Email us at takesreakspodcast at gmail.com. That being said, pair point cup plates and collectible cup plates in general can be a really fun starting point to get people interested in vintage and antiques. 
Just because they are small, they are easy to store, they are very colorful. And they're only three to five dollars. They're only three to five dollars. They come in subject matter that is sure to please someone at some point. An animal in a hat? Sign me up. Absolutely. Um, I think they look so sweet in little windows as little like light catchers. Very cute. There's a bit of a cottage industry here and there that you can run into of people making holders for cup plates. Which, that could be fun, that if you're that type of person. <laughs> I feel like that phrase could apply to anything. Well, alright, you're, you're John francois me now because, like, anything I say could be applied to anything, really. The phrase, that could be fun if you're that kind of person? Well, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> how, would you, how would you address them? I wouldn't. Wow. I wouldn't. Wow. I'm too busy counting all the different types of materials cup plates were made out of. Now hold on. I've got glass. Glass. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to drown in a cereal bowl? <laughs> Am I about to find out? Because I'm not far from showing you. <laughs> You little shit. Oh, we do have fun here. Oh, but we do. Oh, how we laugh. Just like that little sheep, how droll. (laughs) But yeah, that's cup plates for you. I hope that anyone's learned as much as I have in this little journey. I've got a whole new thing to look out for while I'm antiquing. I love little glassware, so that's, that's fun for me. Hell yeah. Sources for today's episode include Glass Cup Plates, a chapter from American Glassware Old and New, a sketch of the glass industry in the United States and manual for collectors of historical bottles by Edwin Atlee Berber, circa 1900. The book is circa 1900? Yeah, it's up on, uh, you know, the Google book transcription project. Oh, sick. So yeah, you could just go read that if you want. Documented use of cup plates in the 19th century, an article from the Journal of Glass Studies by Jane S. Shadell. CollectorsWeekly.com, Exhibition of Cup Plates, and CollectorsWeekly.com, American Historical Glass Cup Plates, WorthPoint.com, Cup Plates Glass, and New Bedford Museum of Glass, NBMOG.org, PairPoint Cup Plates. If you would like to suggest an episode topic in a feud stake and then never remember you said it, write in to AntiquesFreaksPodcast at gmail.com, or post in our Facebook group AntiquesFreaksFriends, or tag us on Tumblr AntiquesFreaks.tumblr.com, or check out our Instagram at Instagram.com slash AntiquesFreaks. If you liked listening to Ken mock me relentlessly for daring to believe that Glasses Beauty is manifold and diverse, feel free to scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a five-star review. Five stars for Get Him Out the Window. Go on, do it. Five stars for every type of glass. <laughs> kind of fucking... It's, go, it's going down. And if you would like to check out a variety of vintage goods, as well as t-shirts and stickers with the podcast logo on them, you can check out our Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks. We got a clown going out this week. Uh, you got better get in on those clowns before someone snaps them up. So many clown. Please help me. And if you need more Antiques Freaks in your week, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we read and review a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful, Varney the Vampire, The Feast of Blood. We are rapidly approaching chapter 120. Get in now. Yeah, it's never been a better time to start. (laughs) Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye.